I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. I am so excited about this next guest for the show. I know my mom is excited as well. She's a huge fan. It's Dr. Ben Carson. There are so many things I want to speak with him about. I mean, the man is just remarkable. He grew up in poverty in Detroit, Michigan, and then went on to just accomplish tremendous success. I mean, the success that like no one achieves, right? Just tremendous. I mean, he became the director of pediatric neurosurgery at John Hopkins at 33, the, the youngest to head a major division in the hospital's history. In 1987, he led a 70-member team that performed the first successful surgery to separate conjoined twins connected at the back of the head. And because of his work, he's received numerous honors for his neurosurgery work. He's been named the nation's, you know, one of the nation's most foremost physicians and scientists in his past. I mean, the Library of Congress has named him, you know, a living legend. He's received a Presidential Medal of Freedom. He's written best-selling books. He went on to run for president in 2016 and then serve as Trump's Secretary of Department of Housing and Urban Development. I mean, the guy has just accomplished a remarkable amount of achievements. And so I, I just want to get his take on why him, right? What, what did he do? differently how how was he able to to get out of detroit and become this remarkable success not just from someone who came from poverty but just a success period you know and, and what does he think of today's the state of the country you know what can we do as a nation to move forward to to be better to build a stronger country and i want to get his take on school choice i know education has played a huge role in his life he talks about how his mom really instilled that value in him that she really encouraged him to read books, to go to the library. 
uh, it was you know a prerequisite almost in their house with his mom and, and she really valued education for him because she saw it as an opportunity for upward mobility you know so what would something like even school choice in the country do for so many young people that you know maybe face additional challenges because of the zip code that they were born into so we're going to talk about that he's also been married to his wife for almost 50 years what's the importance of marriage you know, he's also previously talked about how God really changed his life, how he grew up really angry and, and violent, and his religion and his walk with God was life-changing for him, that it allowed him to become the man that he is today. So we're going to talk about all of this and, and also get into some of the political stuff like the Joe Biden administration and a lot of different things like that. So I think you're really going to like this one. Dr. Ben Carson, just a fascinating and extraordinarily accomplished man. So I really hope you love this interview with Dr. Ben Carson. Oh, and his latest book is Created Equal, and it is out, just came out, I believe, in May. So I wanted to plug that for him as well. But I hope you love this interview with Dr. Ben Carson. Ben Carson, it is such an honor to have you on the show. I was telling you, my mom is such a fan. I told her I was interviewing you, and she was like, what? <laughs> she was so excited. So. so make sure you tell her I said hi. <laughs> it's my pleasure. You've just had such a remarkable life, such a remarkable career. You know, you grew up in Detroit, Michigan, in, in poverty. And why do you think you were able to get out and turn your life into such a success story when so many were not? Well, I always say if everybody had my mother, we wouldn't have any problems. You know, she had less than a third grade education, but she was really committed to the idea of getting an education. And when I was a terrible student, she was in great distress. She finally figured out what to do. She said, you know, I'm a domestic. I'm cleaning all these wealthy people's homes. I'm going to spy on them and see what they're doing, what makes them successful. And, you know, she concluded that it was reading books and not watching a lot of TV. And she came home and imposed that on me and my brother. We were not happy. But we had to do it, and boy, did that have a revolutionary effect on me as a person as I started reading about all kinds of people of accomplishment, and I began to understand that the person who has the most to do it, what happens to you is you, not someone else. And that is still the case today. You know, you you take, for instance, I talked in, in my newest book, Created Equal, about the, the wealth gap that so many people talk about in this country, 5 to 10x, blacks to white, and it does exist. There's no question about that. But I say Ghanaians and Nigerians, they're black, and there's no wealth gap. So what is it about them that's different? It's not the color of their skin. It's that if you go to one of those families and you look, you'll see that a bachelor's degree is the baseline. They put such a premium on education and a big premium on family. And interestingly enough, if you take traditional black American families who have those same values, there's not much, if any, wealth gap there either. So maybe we're looking at the wrong things when we're looking to blame everything on racism. And that's not to say that there isn't some racism, but... You know, as as my mother used to say, 
if you go into an auditorium full of racist, bigoted white people, you don't have a problem. They have a problem because they're all going to cringe and wonder if you're going to sit next to them, and you can sit anywhere you want. And, uh, you know, basically carrying that philosophy has allowed both me and my brother to do very well. And you talk about the importance of your mother. I mean, I was sort of a handful growing up. I don't know where I would be without my parents just continuously putting me back in the right direction in life. Why do you think as a society we devalue the importance of family? Well, you know, family structure, uh, even the Marxist uh, who wrote about America years ago, stated that one of the really strong pillars of America and why it would be so hard to bring it down was the family structure. Because that's where you get your values from. Uh, That's where you get your identity from. And when that begins to break down, you don't have an anchor and you become very easy to manipulate. And that's why so many of our people today, particularly a lot of our young people, just like blowing like leaves in the wind. (laughs) Whichever way the wind is blowing, that's the way they're going. And uh, they don't have those strong values. You know, that's one of the reasons we created American Cornerstone Institute. Look at those cornerstone principles that made America great. We didn't get to be great by accident. It was our faith, liberty, community, and our respect for life. Those are key elements. And as we got further away from them and other things began to infiltrate, then we began to spiral downward. But I don't think it's inexorable. I don't think that it's too late to change it. And that's why we're out there preaching all the time. What was growing up in Detroit like? It was interesting. Um, there, there was, you know, significant uh, areas that were nice areas, quite frankly, um, where there were black people who lived. But there were also some pretty horrible uh, slummy areas, but nothing there compared to what I witnessed when we got to Boston. Because my parents got divorced after my mother discovered that her husband was a bigamist, and <clears throat> we didn't have a home for a while. But some relatives in Boston took us in, and it was what you see on television in the tenement: horrible multifamily dwellings with boarded-up windows and doors, sirens and gangs, winos. Murders. Both of my favorite older cousins were killed. I mean, it was a horrendous place. And yet you could still find good people. You could find good things. You could find libraries. You could find a place where you could read. So even though it wasn't the ideal environment, uh, it was something that you could make something out of. Now, if you determine that you're a victim and that everything is stacked against you, you're likely to react in a very different way. Instead of looking for opportunities, you're going to have a tendency to be complaining and groaning about things. And and this is not to say that you should not be unhappy when things are not going well. But you're not going to solve that by just groaning and complaining about it. You're going to solve that 
by making yourself valuable and then utilizing that position of value to improve the situation. You know, and I read that when you were 14, I know you've talked about this before, you almost took the life of another boy. The the knife hit the teenager's belt, it buckle and snapped. Uh, afterwards, you prayed and asked for God's help. How did God change your life? Oh, tremendously. Uh, you know, I, I had a horrendous temper. And when I would get angry, I just really didn't even care about the consequences. I just wanted to hurt people. It was terrible. And, you know, I had turned things around academically, had become, you know, a top student and pursuing my goal of becoming a physician. But I realized after the incident that you just described that I would never become a physician. I would come either be in jail, reform school, or the grave. And I just said, Lord, you know, unless you can change me, I'm doomed. But while I was still in the in the midst of, of praying and contemplating and reading the Bible, it dawned on me that the reason that I was always angry is because I was selfish, because everything was about me, me, my, and I. Somebody did this to me. They took my thing. I want this. And I said, if you learn how to take yourself out of the middle of the equation, the anger will dissipate. <clears throat> that was the last day I had an angry outburst. And people who know me now just can't believe that I used to be angry because it really completely changed my life. And, uh, you know, I have a very strong faith in God. And I think that our country developed so rapidly and so well because we were a country that had faith. And that faith, for instance, taught us how to relate to our fellow man. Our Judeo-Christian values say, love your neighbor, not cancel your neighbor if they don't agree with you. You know, we're allowing those great principles to be replaced by things that are antithetical to the principles of success. Well, and you've also been married for, I believe, 47 years now. Um, is it 47 years? Yeah. Talk about the importance of marriage. I personally could never have accomplished the things that I did <clears throat> without my wife uh, by my side. Uh, she's just been a constant support for everything that I've always done. She even learned how to play pool because I, <laughs> I love to play pool. She says, if I don't become a good pool player, I won't be able to have any quality time. <laughs> she's very good now. Uh, but... Uh, she became a spectacular cook, a fantastic mom for my kids. You know, she helps me with with my writing, with the latest book that we did. She uh, did a lot of the research for that book, so I always acknowledge her on the cover of the book. Um, and it just there was a reason that that God fixed us up with a helpmeet and with uh, a companion for life. Quick commercial break and then back with the great Dr. Ben Carson on the other side. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. 
if you dare. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. You know, you look at the horrific shooting that just took place in Uvalde, Texas. Why do you think as a society we keep turning out, you know, these angry young men that take out their anger on innocent people like that? Well, I think it goes back to what we were talking about before, that family structure where you get your values, where you get your appreciation uh, for life and for the feelings of other people. And when you don't have that and you have this constant barrage of things that we see in the media and over social media in particular, uh, me first, it's all about me and it's all about my feelings. And You know, if you don't have something to counter that, it can become pretty malignant uh, pretty quickly. And I think we're seeing that in our society, pure evil that is not being counteracted. And uh, if we don't get a handle on it, this is only the beginning. 
it's going to get much worse than this. And I, I know people are going to come and say, well, if we can get rid of the guns, well, all you have to, if you're a student of history, you recognize that before dictatorships occurred, they said, let's get rid of the guns. And they always have a good reason for it. China, Cambodia, Nazi Germany, Venezuela, you know, the list goes on and on. Get rid of the guns and then tyranny. And there's no reason to suspect that that wouldn't happen in this country, too. And you look at a country that has even more guns per capita than we do, Switzerland, they have a very low incidence of gun violence. But when you turn adult age, you get a gun there and you get training on how to use that gun and when to use that gun. And I think what we're dealing with here is a people problem. It's not a gun problem. And you talk about tyranny and, you know, I admittedly, I mean, I've always been conservative. I've always believed in liberty and freedom, but I don't think I realized how fleeting it truly is until COVID and until we saw government try to overtake our lives. As someone who is so renowned in the medical field, what were you thinking throughout COVID and, and you know, just what's your takeaway from it? Well, you know, I was on the COVID task force and um, one of the things that disappointed me tremendously was how uh, the leaders of the task force quickly dismissed any therapeutics that were brought up. Any, it had to be vaccine and vaccine only. And uh, you see where that led us, uh, not to a very good place. Uh, No one would even acknowledge the role of natural immunity, which we've known about, you know, since the Civil War and smallpox. It's like, natural immunity, what's that? How long does that last? I mean, this is crazy. And, you know, anytime something that looked promising like hydroxychloroquine, uh, it was immediately bad mouth. Same thing with ivermectin, ceratidir, anything that looked good. And yet those things have worked so well in other parts of the world. You look at Western Africa, on the Western Africa coast, there's almost no COVID. Why? Well, it seems very likely it's because they take an anti-malarial called hydroxychloroquine. And uh, in southern India, some places, they use ivermectin, very little COVID going on there, too. Now, if we were smart, we would look at those places and we would say, is there something going on there? Is there something going on there with these uh, interventions? And we would put a lot of emphasis on that. But instead, we have these stupid FDA rules that say, you cannot have an emergency use authorization if you have another viable treatment. Therefore, in order to get the emergency use authorization for the vaccine, you had to say nothing else is available that works. And, and that was very unfortunate for hundreds of thousands of people in this country. It seems like the left really tried to use COVID to reshape society. Oh, without question. Well, you know, you look at what happened with the election, all of a sudden, 
you have people who are not supposed to be making election rules because of the COVID situation and the danger to society. Uh, all of a sudden, they're changing all kind of rules. And they're saying signatures don't have to match, addresses don't have to match. It doesn't matter what the dates are. Uh, I mean, just crazy stuff that would never be allowed in any other uh, civilization. <laughs> and we just say, okay. And poll watchers, no, you have to stand 25 or 100 feet away, or you have to be outside the building looking in the window. I mean, just crazy stuff that makes absolutely no sense was pushed through because of COVID. And hopefully all Americans are concerned about this, not just, you know, one side or the other side, because we're talking about the future of our country. We're talking about a democratic republic that cannot exist without integrity and the voting system. And, you know, I, you, you can't emphasize that enough. If, if we just sort of take a laissez-faire attitude and say, yeah, it's okay, you know, then we have signed the death warrant for our country. No, I, I agree with you, sir, and I do think that is incredibly important. I think that's why a lot of people are discouraged, um, you know, after the 2020 election and, and feeling like it was just really unfair uh, and there was a lot of wrong that took place. You know, sir, I wanted to ask you, so you have operated on babies inside of a mother's womb. If you are operating on them, how can Democrats say that human life doesn't begin until birth? Well, it is pretty crazy, I must admit. And, and why is it Why is it that if, if you murder a woman who's pregnant, you get charged with two counts of murder? <laughs> If if that's not something that's alive, that's inside of her, that would make any sense. And yet that's widely accepted. So it seems like selected, uh, it's very selective definitions of when something is alive and when it isn't. And obviously, you know, I feel very strongly about it because, you know, I spent my whole professional career trying to save lives, in many cases, little babies, sometimes very premature, 25, 26, 27 weeks gestation. Um, and interestingly enough, you know, I've been around long enough now that I sometimes have an opportunity to see the results. You know, adults, functional, productive adults, wonderful people. And, uh, you know, it just reinforces the desire to make sure that people understand that what is inside that mother's womb is not a meaningless bunch of cells. Why do you think the left does that, though? They, they try to reduce the value of a human life to just a, a clump of cells. I think a lot of it is because they don't really know and they don't want to know. Um, but you'll notice that the younger generation tends to have a larger number of people who are pro-life because they've grown up in a society where we have the technology that actually shows you what's in that mother's womb. And uh, it becomes much more difficult to deny that that's a human being. I mean, at eight weeks, you can already see the little eyeballs and the nose and the lips and the fingers and the toes and the heart's beating and you know it's starting to move around and to say that that's not a living 
being makes no sense. And it's more sophisticated. That brain is developing so fast, you know, millions and millions of neurons every single day, billions, in fact. It's much more sophisticated than a snail darter with some of these things that environmentalists go around trying to save. Um, why aren't they trying to save this baby? I saw that in 2013, you know, you had said at the time you were, you were not a member of any political party. Why did you eventually get into politics? What was it about the, that, the environment then? You know, why, why did you decide that this is the time to get into politics? Well, you know, I had no intention of, of getting into the political arena. And then in 2013, I was asked to give the keynote at the presidential prayer breakfast, which shocked me because I had given the keynote in 1997 when Bill Clinton was president. And I didn't know anybody ever did it twice. But some investigation demonstrated that there was one person who had done it twice, and that was Billy Graham. And I said, well, that's pretty good company. And uh, so I gave the speech, and after the speech, I mean, I was just inundated with people saying, you need to run for president. I said, what a ridiculous thing. I said, if I just ignore that, it'll all go away. But it didn't go away. It kept getting worse. Every place I would go, there were people with placards, run, bend, run. I had more than 500,000 petitions in my office. I could barely get in there, all the boxes of petitions. And, you know, I finally said, Lord, are you trying to tell me something? I said, um, you know, I don't want to do this, but I don't have any of the things that people who run for president have, a Rolodex with all the important names, a big war chest of money, an organization, <laughs> any of the stuff. And I said, nor do I intend to develop them. So if you really want me to do this, you have to supply all that stuff. The next thing I knew, had a full organization. They were raising more money than the RNC each month. It was absolutely incredible. And um, so that's that's how I ended up in the political arena. And then, you know, during the campaign, you know, uh, Donald Trump and I became friends. We very, very similar philosophies in virtually everything, but very different personalities. And, um, you know, it was easy for me when I dropped out to endorse him and that's secondarily become a member of the cabinet. Why do you think he received so much hate? I mean, we had the media, the left, they try to say he was a racist. They try to say, you know, he was all these terrible things. Why? Oh, well, it wasn't just from the left. It was from a lot of traditional people on the right, too. It was because he absolutely refused to get in the swamp and to play their games and to go along with all the things that you're supposed to do. And that made him a real threat to the Washington establishment. And they needed to get rid of him at, at all costs. And uh, I suspect I would have had the same problem if I had one. But, um, you know, we have to recognize what we have. It's an amazing country that we have. And after the Constitutional Convention in 1787 was finished and Benjamin Franklin walked out, a woman said, sir, what do we have here, a republic or a monarchy? And he said, a republic, if we can keep it. And that's 
probably the biggest threat that we have right now. We have an entrenched system that is extraordinarily corrupt. And uh, it's going to require people with real fortitude and real courage to really change it and get on the right track again. You, You can't be the land of the free if you're not the home of the brave. You can't just sort of stand in the corner with your head down and hope no one calls you a nasty name. I mean, I, I think that's so true. And I, I mean, I, I hope people's eyes are opening. I know my eyes have been open. You know, it started with Kavanaugh, then it was COVID, and then it was the treatment of Trump, and then it was the Trump administration, which you were obviously a huge part of. It really showing us how corrupt <laughs> our government is, how corrupt, how corrupt the media is, how corrupt the left is. I mean, you know, they called Kavanaugh a gang rapist without any evidence. I mean, they they are willing to destroy someone over politics. I mean, you you saw that up close running. What can you tell people about that experience of facing that? Almost all of the cabinet members were accused of horrible things. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Um, and and many of them left. Not because they were horrible, corrupt people, but in order to fight these things, you have to hire your own personal lawyers. And the Washington lawyers who deal with that kind of stuff are like $900 an hour. Not everybody could afford that. And uh, it's it's a way of harassing uh, that goes on. You don't see it happening on the other side at all. You don't hear any of these allegations being made. And the media was right lockstep with those, making those allegations. You know, in my case, they say, he's buying this $31,000 dining room table while he's trying to slash the budget, uh, which was uh, completely untrue, by the way. Uh, but they needed a narrative. They needed something to attack. And the media was all behind it. Carson needs to resign. He's got ethical problems. Now, you know, the investigation cost over a million dollars for this allegation of buying a $31,000 table, which was completely false. And, of course, the investigation yielded zero wrongdoing, which, of course, there was no wrongdoing. So, of course, that's what it yielded. Um but that shows the level of corruption that is there. No apology from the media, by the way. Uh, no acknowledgement that they were completely wrong. And that's one of the other sad things that's going on. You know, the only business entity protected by our Constitution was the press. And it was because they were supposed to disseminate unbiased information to the people so that the people could make a decision so that the country could be run on the will of the people. That was the great experiment. How can you have a country that is run on the will of the people, not by some monarch or some central dictatorial agency? And no one thought it would work, but it has worked for 250 years and it will continue to work if if we, the American people, are diligent and understand our responsibility and make sure that the people you vote for are people who have your values, not just people who have a name you're familiar with when you go and look at a ballot. Quick break. Back with Dr. Carson on the other side. From BBC Radio 4. 
Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. You talk about the media, and previously you were talking about Democrats' desire to you know, rid Americans of their Second Amendment right. You know, We also have the First Amendment right, and it's first for a reason, because— free speech that you know the free flow of information is incredibly important to have a republic as we do to to have a a society that can thrive to have that transparency but we're really losing that when you look at the media i mean they essentially serve as a propaganda arm of the left oh no question about it the people say that we have complete freedom of speech because the government has not imposed a restriction but if big tech and social media is able to cancel people with the compliance of the government, it's exactly the same result as if the government is imposing the restriction itself. And people really need to understand that. And they need to be upset and they need to make corrections. And, you know, this November will be an opportune time for people to make corrections. And, you know, I'm not talking Democrats and Republicans. I'm talking about people who love America, who love our system, who love our Constitution, and people who want to fundamentally change it. 
You know, sir, you've talked about the importance of education and even just your mom really encouraging that in your life. You know, when you look at the issue of school choice, how much of a difference would that make in young people's lives in this country? Oh, it make all the difference in the world. If you can get a good education, it doesn't matter where you start, what your background is, you will end up writing your own ticket in this society. And yet, you know, it's one of the things that we really do need to address as a nation. Uh, a lot of our schools, the public schools, are funded through a millage uh, manner where the taxes are generated on the basis of the neighborhood in which you live. And if it happens to be an affluent area, there's a lot of tax money that goes into the school system. And if you happen to live in a very poor area, there's very little money that goes into it. So you end up with inferior schools and uh, less opportunity for a good education. Now, you know, in my own particular case, I was I was able to get around uh, going to schools that were not particularly academically inclined uh, because I had such a thirst for education. I would go back to the teachers after class and I would say, what did you intend to teach? Because most of the time they spent the whole hour disciplining people. They didn't get to teach anything. Uh, you know, the biology teacher never got the experiments done, but he hired me as the biology lab assistant, so I got to set up all the experiments, so I got to find out what they were supposed to show, and then I started doing that for the chemistry and also for the physics labs. So I got that education, and then I started going downtown to Wayne State University, to the libraries there, going to the museums, doing all kinds of things to supplement my, my education. And even with all of that, you know, going from Southwestern High School in inner city Detroit to Yale University was still a huge culture shock. But uh, I did eventually adjust to it. We've seen just indoctrination take place in schools, particularly with the, you know, the Ivy Leagues as well. How do we change that in terms of just the doc, the, you know, indoctrination that students are getting you know I've, I've heard a couple of people mention uh, but it's never really been enacted but you know these schools get huge government grants and uh, you know I, I think the government should not be giving grants to universities to indoctrinate people in either direction it shouldn't it just shouldn't happen there's no reason that taxpayers should be on the hook for indoctrination of our young people. We've seen an uptick in, in black conservatives, but why aren't more black voters voting for Republicans? Well, I, I will say that is encouraging to me. I used to go to you know, conservative gatherings and I would be the only black face there. That's long gone. There's a lot of black faces there now. So I, I, I think it's changing uh, pretty quickly. And... I think it will change even more uh, when we get another administration in place that takes the attitude of the previous administration before this one, that a rising tide lifts all boats. And that's the way things were done. 
and and that's why there was the lowest black unemployment, uh, tremendous wage gains, all kinds of opportunities for business development. Um, those are the kinds of things that people will, after a while, notice. Uh, if those kinds, the same kind of gains, had occurred under the current administration, uh, you know, it would be heralded from the mountaintops. <laughs> but since it was the previous administration, shh, don't talk about that. Um, but you know, that hiding it under the blanket can only last for so long. And I think a lot of people are starting to wake up. And that's what encourages me more than anything else. I see minorities waking up. I see a lot of uh, all Americans from all backgrounds getting involved with the school boards, getting involved with their city councils, recognizing how much is at stake right now. And I do not think America is going to go the way of Venezuela and some other places because I think our people understand what is at stake and they're not willing to trade what we have for socialism you know i, I think about venezuela i've visited there a number of times before they turned they had wonderful times there beautiful resorts and hotels and museums and the thing that the people argued about most was whether or not they were the most beautiful people in the world and now look at look at it. They go from the number one economy in South America to the last, with people fleeing there in droves. And uh, it happened almost overnight. And look at how rapidly things are changing in this country. And we cannot take our freedoms for granted. We absolutely cannot. And you know that's really the whole point of this podcast trying to get to the truth of these issues and expose a lot of these issues and, and, and have conversations with people like you to get the truth out to the public. You, know, you talked about all the accomplishments that you guys did in the Trump administration, you know, and then now we have this administration, <laughs> you know, as, as someone who served in the previous administration, you know, what's going through your mind as you just watch what's been happening with the Biden administration? Well, you know, it, it's very sad, obviously. Our system has broken down in the sense that uh, you've got someone with the head of government who, for multiple reasons, is perhaps not functioning at the highest levels. And you have people managing him who are not elected people and who would never be elected people if people saw who they were. But they're there virtually managing the country and doing a horrible job of it. And uh, the question is, you know, can we survive? Uh, you know, this complete lack of leadership and incompetency that's going on. Uh, I, I hope we're strong enough to survive it, but uh, everybody's going to have to do their part. And uh, one thing I tell people all the time is, you may feel helpless, but there's no one who doesn't have a sphere of influence. And you can use that sphere of influence in a very positive way. Uh, treat people the right way. Um, begin conversations about what's going on. You know, they say you're not supposed to talk about religion or politics. I, I disagree. I think you should engage people in conversation because sometimes that's the only way that they will get to recognize 
the basis of their beliefs. And a lot of times they recognize that they don't have a basis for their beliefs. And uh, you can frequently get people to move to a more reasonable uh, position. And that's what we really want. We live in a, a, a multi, multivariant society. We have people from all kinds of, of backgrounds. And that's exactly the kind of place where you cannot have a my way or the highway attitude. You have to be able to engage in conversation with each other. You have to be able to find common ground. You have to be able to work together. That's what community is all about. And that was a very important pillar for the development of this country. Is Joe Biden fully with it? Uh, I don't think he's at the top of his game. Um, and, you know, I, I just think it was criminal the way during the election process that he was stashed away in the basement. I mean, people should have been highly suspicious at that point. I mean, why are they trying to keep this guy away from people? Um, but again, part of that was the media heralding how great he was and this was going to be the salvation of the world. And, you know, they just pushed that narrative so hard. And, you know, I, 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 I talk about the media quite a bit and, and my new book, Created Equal, and the role that they have played and some of the good things that they have done in our society. But, uh, you know, some of the really bad things. And there is an opportunity for them to recognize why they were the only business entity protected by our Constitution and to rise to the occasion. You know, throw away this ideological bent that they have and do their job. Sir, you've just done so much in your life. It's remarkable. I mean, you were the director of pediatric neurosurgery at John Hopkins at 33 years old, the youngest to head a major division in the hospital's history. You have done life-changing surgeries. You have been the first to do some of those. You've written best-selling books. You've won. You've received the Presidential Medal of Freedom. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Awards, honors, you know, all of these things. What are you most proud of? Uh, probably the fact that uh, our children and our grandchildren are growing up to be very decent individuals who love our nation and who love their fellow man and they're making contributions. And I don't know that there's anything greater that you can do than to raise your children the right way. That's beautiful. I always like to ask the guests before we go, is there anything else you'd like to leave the audience with? Well, just with the fact that we, the American people, are not each other's enemies. And we cannot let those who want to fundamentally change us convince us that we're enemies and that we should be fighting on the basis of race, income, gender, religion, political affiliation, whatever. Because the United States of America is critical to the stability of the world. And if we allow it to go, everything else is going to collapse as well. Sir, it's been an honor to have you on the show. I thank you so much for your time. Such an honor. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you for being a patriot.
Well, that was awesome to have Dr. Ben Carson on the show. And what I really appreciated is, look, guys, it can be challenging right now what we face as a country. We all know that we are at a crossroads as a nation, that this is a really pivotal time for our country, for those of us who believe in liberty, who believe in freedom, who believe in the principles this nation was founded upon. So I really appreciated his optimism and his wisdom and just what he had to say. So it was an honor to have the conversation with him. And I really appreciated what he said that we can't be the land of the free without being the home of the brave. So, you know, we've got to be brave. We've got to get out there and fight. And so I just really appreciated that conversation. And I hope you did too. You know, we have these every Monday and Thursday. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Please share with friends, family, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, And I want to thank my producer, John Cassio, for always working hard to, to put this show together for you guys. So thanks so much for listening. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring? But don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com.